Father, we thank you for this time that we are able to come together and to study your word. We pray, Lord, that that you'll open our eyes and our hearts to understand the word, that your spirit would be working within us, that through the spirit you will um, illuminate the scripture to us, that we might better understand it. Father, I pray that, um, that I am just your vessel, Father, that this isn't my words, that I'm not trying to force my thoughts through, but that this is an explanation of the passage, and therefore your message. Watch over us this morning, guide and direct us, and help us keep focused on your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Now, last week we finished 1 Timothy 4 with instructions that Paul was giving to Timothy. And today we're going to begin chapter 5. Now, Paul is still continuing to give instructions to Timothy about how he should conduct himself with certain members of the church and uh, how that should and how to care for certain members, how the church should care for certain members, how that should look. So we're going to look at the first half of chapter 5 today, verses 1 through 16. Um, So let's look at that passage as as we begin this morning. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him like a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Honor the widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable for God. Now she who really is a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives, and these things command that they may be blameless." But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of the household, he has denied, he, he has denied the faith and is worse of an un, than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved and the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has, widow, has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Now, 
So we're going to be looking at these, uh, these verses here. We're going to break this into three sections today. And the first is going to be verses 1 through 2. And I'm calling that section general behavior. General behavior there in verses 1 and 2. So let's look at those verses again quickly. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with all purity. I suppose exhorting him as a father does, doesn't include tossing a pen at him. I get no tossing a pen. That's not exhorting. Okay. Okay. So we're looking at this general behavior Timothy is to have with members of the church. Paul continues in giving these instructions to Timothy as his role in leadership within the Ephesian church. Now, there are different opinions as to whether these two verses of chapter 5 should be included uh, with the previous section of chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, especially since the original writing would not have, um, the original writings would not have included chapter and verse separations as our translations do. Plus, the fact that there is this double imperative of verbs, these double imperative verbs in in these verses seems to fit the pattern of verses 11 through 16. I've included them here, though the form suggests it may be part of the previous section. The, um, the content of these verses, though, uh, work better with the context of the rest of this chapter, with the context of this chapter in the following sections. So we're going to look, keep it here. So Paul begins in verses 1 and 2 with his instructions of telling Timothy not to rebuke older man, older men. First thing we need to see is that this term for older man in the verse is the same word that he will use later in verses 17 and 19 in referring to the office of elder. Now you remember that elder is one of the terms used for the office of pastor. However, Paul is not using the term in that more technical sense here, but in the general sense of referring to a man who is considered older, likely 55 to 60 or above, Um, 55 or 60 or above. So that this word in particular is used only four times in this letter to Timothy. All of them are in this chapter. Two of them are referring to the office, verses 17 and 19, which we'll get to probably next week. The other two times are here in the beginning of the chapter, the one that we're talking about right now here in verse 1, and the feminine form of the word used in verse 2, translated older women. So in verse 1, this is why we're saying that this is not the office that we're talking about. This is the general use of the word referring to an older man somewhere between 55 and above, 55 and 60 or above. Now, Paul tells Timothy not to rebuke such a man. Now, the word rebuke here is the idea of a very severe or angry censure. This word shares the same root word as violent in chapter 3, verse 3. And in that verse, Paul tells, is saying that the bishop, elder, pastor is not to be violent. The idea is not to be a bully, someone who reacts aggressively like that, where that's his gut reaction. And most likely, the idea is that, is that of continuing that thought of not being a bully, not being violent as, 
for the church leader, especially when needing to correct an issue or to speak with an older man about a concern. He should do this not in a demeaning way, but as the next part of the verse says, as fathers, exhorting as a father. Now, when having difficult conversations with older men in the church, the pastor leader should should have the attitude of addressing his father. Paul says to exhort, and we've seen that word before. Um, It's the idea of urging, encouraging, comforting. It's the word that's used in chapter 4, verse 13. The exhortation, the teaching, the exhortation, uh, and the reading. Like I said, this word is to urge, to to encourage, even to comfort. So the idea here is to encourage or earnestly earnestly support an idea or course of action. So it's not to condemn the negative action, but is more to encourage the positive action. I'm going to pick on Rod for a minute. So if I'm if I'm noticing something with Rod, I should. I shouldn't come in an aggressive form and say, Rod, what you're doing is wrong. You knock it off. I should probably more come, Rod, I'm, I'm seeing this. I've got a little bit of concern. It may not big of, be a big deal. But what if we tried this? Try doing this instead. So you're, you're encouraging, you're you're. We're urging, we're earnestly trying to support a different course of action. Instead of just coming in this violent action and strongly censuring the person. So it's, this is not about telling Timothy to shirk away from admonishing someone, whatever their age, But whoever needs that admonishing, it's about the attitude that Timothy was to have when he admonished the person. Now, Paul adds three other age groups of people to this church within this section. Younger men, older women, and younger women. All three of these are dependent on the verb exhort. So exhort is not just in reference to older men, but it's in reference to older women. It's in reference to younger men. It's in reference to younger women as well. Timothy should react the same way with everyone. Now, while younger men and younger women here may mean younger than Timothy, I think it is more likely that they are being described, that, they are, that Paul is describing men and women that are younger than the older men or women that he was just referring to. Paul here is reflecting a behavioral idea that was found in popular moral philosophy of the day. People of different ages should be treated as one would treat that corresponding members of their family. Doesn't matter if this man is not related to me, if he is older than me, I should should treat him as I would my father. Same with this lady, same with this younger man, same with this younger woman. Treat them as I would a corresponding family member. Think about it. Those of you with with siblings, you treat and talk your siblings differently than you do your parents, right? More than likely, you can be more straightforward and open, maybe more blunt. 
while with a, with a, a parent, you're probably more respectful, maybe slightly more reserved. I don't know, I have to guess at these things. <laughs> okay, I can only assume that. I can only assume that it'd be more appropriate to go to your brother and say, hey, you're being an idiot, knock it off, than to try and say that to your father. And my mom's Sal, so I would not be able to do that. <laughs> now, Paul gives no further instructions concerning older men or older women or even younger men. He says, treat older, older men and women as, a, as your own father and mother. He says to treat younger men as you would treat your brother. And Timothy, I'm sure, understood what that looks like, and we understand what that looks like. But for younger women, he adds another instruction after telling Timothy to treat them as sisters. He says, with all purity. Now, this word purity is the same word that was used in chapter 4, verse 12, when he was telling Tim, talking about Timothy's own Christian life. That word means moral, morally upright or blameless. So as in chapter 4, verse 12, the idea here is for Timothy to be above suspicion of sexual impropriety when he deals with younger women in the church. One author notes that purity refers in this context, to sexual purity and expresses the need to act with the utmost propriety to avoid any needless suspicion. Explicit mention of the need of this attitude suggests that there may have been a problem in the church for a younger leader. Now, having given some basic but important instructions about how to behave and act toward the church membership in general, Paul moves on and gives more detailed instructions on widows in the church, beginning in verse 3. Now, while verses 3 through 16 as a whole deal with widows, we're going to break this into two sections. The first part, which is our next main point, will be verses 3 to 10, and the second part will be verses 11 to 16. So let's read our next section here, and we'll see that our heading is Caring for Widows. Caring for Widows, verses 3 through 10. Honor widows who are really widows, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who really is a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for the, his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under six years old be taken into a number, taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported of good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints feet, if she has received the received the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So caring for widows in verses 3 through 10. Paul starts in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. What's he talking about? This section seems to imply that there is some sort of list of widows, at least that 
within the church that the church aided in a material way. Now, the word honor here is the idea broadly of respect, but it also includes a material support. So we have here some sort of tangible way of caring for widows through the church. This isn't new. Widows have, especially in the first century, long been viewed as needing material support. They're often counted, uh, especially if they have no other family, they are often counted among the poor and the needy. James chapter 1, verse 27 reads, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. From the beginning of the church, widows were being cared for. Acts 6, you'll remember that the concern that came about that created what would be the office of deacon was over the daily distribution of bread to the widows in the church of Jerusalem. The church was already doing some of this. Now, I feel like more than likely what was happening in Jerusalem was a continuation of something that was already established within Judaism, but the church obviously continued that line of thinking. Now, the Old Testament looks favorably upon many of the widows who are mentioned in the passage, in its pages. Though there was no Mosaic law concerning widows other than the kinsman redeemer, they were allowed to the same benefits that the law gave other destitute individuals and other needy individuals, which is why Ruth was able to go and glean from Boaz's field. It wasn't necessarily for widows, but it was that the needy and poor were able to follow behind the harvesters and glean from the crop as well. Widows were expected to be cared for by their children, primarily by the eldest son, whose double portion of the inheritance would allow him to bring his mother into his home. Now, Paul does, not, does add an important condition to this material honor of widows. He says those who are truly widows. The word truly here is the idea of genuine, really, certainly, or in truth. Well, what's a genuine widow? A widow that has no family or other means of support. Remember that in the first century, there was no social security. There was no state-run welfare. There was no 401k or retirement plan. A widow with no family or means of support was in dire straits. Paul, to clarify, describes three kinds of widows within the next few verses. In, chapter, uh, in verse 4, we see widows with family. The first widow he describes is the one with family. Specifically, he mentions children and grandchildren. Now, there are two common ways to understand verse 4. The first is that the widow who has children or grandchildren, presumably old enough to support and care for her, is to rely on that family. And this is seen as piety or godliness by the family and is acceptable to God, is pleasing to God. 
The second view is that is that the, God, that the uh, widow should put her time and energy into helping or caring for her family as opposed to taking over duties in the church and would therefore be showing piety in that way and would be showing respect to her parents and forebears for caring for her children as they cared for her. I think that the first view is more natural. It is more natural in understanding the verse uh, and as we will look at here in a minute and see further down, it makes more sense in the passage. Paul is saying that children or grandchildren of a widow are to be the primary means of support and care for their widowed mother or grandmother. One author writes, Asian and African cultures, with their inclusion of extended family and cross-generation, cross-generational relationships have a much better understanding of family cohesion and care than do Western societies. Our idolizing of independence often severs us from the sense of gratitude and long-term reciprocity which God intends for a family. While no parent invests time and energy into raising children simply to be repaid for it, the ties and obligations of family relationships do not rest entirely upon parents. Children and grandchildren have the opportunity to give back time, love, and material support. They should also grow up with, with the expectation that this is their privilege and duty, especially to those widowed within their family. The church should be vocal and supportive of instilling these values in children and grandchildren. It is to our shame that in Western nations, the children often leave parents to their own devices or to social welfare programs. It certainly should not be so among God's people. I know that was a long quote, but there were some good elements in there. Now, in our passage, I'm linking verses 7 and 8 with verse 4. It seems that Paul is telling Timothy to command these things to, uh, to the church so that they know how to do this and so that they may be blameless. And then verse, four, uh, verse 8 seems to reinforce what is being said here. Now, verse 5 gives the description of a widow who is truly in need of assistance from the church, while verse 6 is a negative description of a widow from whom the church should withhold material aid. Verses 4 and 8 really display the fact that God has intended for children to care for their elderly parents. While this idea is deeply rooted in many other cultures, it should especially be seen in the lives of believers. The Christian faith starts at home. While parents should live and teach their faith to their children, Adult children should live out their faith in tangible ways with their elderly parents, especially if the parents or siblings are not believers. Let's not reduce our faith to speaking the gospel, sending books and tracts or sharing videos, but let's live the gospel before our unbelieving family by truly displaying our love in tangible ways. Make phone calls, cut the lawn, shovel the snow, clean the gutters, move your parents into your home if needed. 
This is what Paul is getting at in verse 8 when he says that the believer who doesn't care for the widow and his family is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. You, Christian, are sitting there and you, and you will send books and you'll send tracts and get the gospel message out there. Wonderful. But it's your unbelieving sibling that's visiting your mother that gets the call in the middle of the night about a leaky faucet, that's shoveling the snow, that's cutting the lawn. Yes, getting them word is important, but if we are not displaying our love and faith in tangible ways, it's just talk. Verse five is where Paul defines the real widow that he mentions in verse three. This widow has no financial aid, no financial support and family to rely on. But that's not enough for the church to aid her. According to verse 5, this widow is also supposed to be wholly devoted to the Lord, constantly relying on him to provide for her needs. An example of this widow may be Anna in Luke 2, who is described as having been married for seven years before being widowed and was about 84 years old when she was mentioned in, in Luke 2. She is described as not departing from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. This type of, de- of devoted believer is who should be on the church aid list. Now, that doesn't mean that the widow is staying in the church the entire time they never leave, but we know We see their Christian lives, even in this time, and we know that they're the ones pleading, God, I have nothing. You are the God who provides. Provide, I have nothing. In verse 6, Paul gives a negative description of another kind of widow. This widow is one the church should not seek to aid. This widow is described as living an indulgent lifestyle. This widow either has means to support herself or, get what she, or she gets what she needs, but finds pleasure in the world. The term gold digger keeps coming to mind as I'm going through this passage. Though the idea of this verse is that this widow is living for self and pleasure. There doesn't seem to infer any immorality, but certainly ungodly living, especially contrasted with the widow of verse 5. In fact, Paul says that this widow is dead, though she is living. This seems to indicate that her spiritual condition, whether that is that of a believer not living for the Lord or not really a believer. This type of widow is to be excluded from church aid. Now I mentioned earlier in this section that there seems to that it seems to imply some sort of list that those receiving material aid from the church. And here in verses 9 and 10, Paul gives a rather specific description uh, to of those Timothy should put on the list to aid, though this list was probably more of ideals than hard regulations. The first item that is given is an age requirement. 
The church should only financially assist widows who are 60 or over. At that age, especially in this time, um, in that age, women were no longer considered marriageable, especially in, in that culture, in that time. And by that age, it was generally thought completely reasonable that a person would not be able to, pro- to provide for their own needs and would need assistance. The next condition giving is a wife of one man. Now, the wording here is the feminine equivalent to the phrase found in chapter 3, verse 2, concerning the pastor as husband of one wife. Now, as with chapter 3, verse 2, there are differing opinions as to how to understand this phrase, though I understand it in much the same way that I took chapter 3, verse 2, meaning that it's a matter of fidelity to her husband in marriage. In chapter 3, I said the phrase should be seen as a one-woman man. So here, we should understand this to be a one-man woman. Fidelity in marriage is of great importance to the Lord. Verse 10 is a brief explanation of good works the widow can, should be known for. She raised children, and I think... This refers to her caring for her children's physical and spiritual training while they were in the home. Now, I see next hospitality and humility are shown as important characteristics. Now, I say humility is shown in that reference to foot washing because this is the only place in the epistles where foot washing is mentioned. So I see this not as an act of humility. Remember that this job was usually reserved for the lowest household slave. But as a disciple of Christ, this widow would have displayed this expression of love and humility as Christ did in John 13. She is also seen as having helped those in distress and all kinds of good deeds. One author writes, these descriptions were meant as a guideline for churches helping widows. They are also a reminder of what God sees as virtues in any woman, indeed in any follower. True faith shows a loyalty and love, especially at home, but also in service to others. Paul's statements also make a strong argument against applying a retirement mentality to Christian living. Service to Christ and others is not reserved for the young. In fact, physically and mentally capable people entering retirement often have more discretionary time to devote to church ministry, teaching, discipling, and missions. Now, these verses 3 through 10 have shown some general principles for the care of widows. The next section continues uh, this discussion on widows, but focuses on younger widows. And that's our last point, younger widows, younger widows, verses 11 through 16. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle. 
wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. The, the previous verses really focused on elderly widows. But sometimes women are widowed at a younger age due to a work accident, war, even during a, during a journey or traveling. And here, Paul gives some direction to Timothy for these younger women. First, Paul reminds Timothy of the age requirement for widows receiving church age. Now, he says, younger. Now, I doubt that uh, there would, wouldn't be some assistance if the husband died unexpectedly, but that general rule was 60 and up. So just because the lady is 42 doesn't mean she's not going to get some assistance, but it's not going to be a permanent, ongoing assistance. Paul also knew that younger women were more apt to romance, to the desire of a husband, than they were at 60 plus. Now, if this widow comes and says, no, my life is over, all I have is Christ, I will never marry again, this may be an admirable thought, a great sentiment, though it may be concocted out of grief, but it is likely, but is it likely to remain true? Now, I'm not saying a woman needs a man. I'm not making that statement. But those natural desires will probably return over the course of time. And the next thing you know, that widow who has sworn off men and is wholly devoted to Christ is now engaged to be married. Paul uses the word desire at the end of this verse. This is the same word he used in chapter 4, verse 2, describing God's will to save all people. This word desire is a desire or will based on emotion and not thought out deliberation. So when the young widow is now seeking marriage over her commitment to Christ, Paul says that they have condemnation or bring judgment on themselves because they've rejected their first pledge. We don't have time to, to go through it, but in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 35, Paul discusses kind of a view on marriage and obligations. He says, basically, if you're unmarried, great. I would wish that you stay this way. Because if you're married, whether you're a man or woman, when you're married, you're focused on worldly things. Raising children, having support, taking care of my husband or wife. If you're single... You don't have those worries. You can focus entirely on the Lord. Both are fine. I wish you could all focus on Christ like this. So we don't have time to go through all of that passage. Um, but Paul makes, some, makes comments there that are beneficial to understand. Now, as he moves on in verses uh, 13 
through 15, Paul gives further reasons not to enroll younger widows into the church aid program. In verse 13, Paul warns that these younger widows, if added to the list, would probably fall into the habit of being idle. They'll probably say, oh, this is a great life. I don't have to worry about things. The church is taking care of things. Yeah, I'll help out the church. Wonderful. And then fall idle. Idleness then, in turn, would turn into gossip and lead them to be busybodies. This would be in strong contrast with those godly women described in verses 5 and 10. Instead of busying themselves with matters, with matters of the faith, displaying and telling of Christ's love, they would be getting involved in everybody else's business and sharing stories. Though they probably wouldn't say, hey, we're not gossiping, we're just wanting our friends to be able to pray more intelligently. But this wouldn't be building the body in love and unity. This would spread distrust and disunity. So in verse 14, Paul gives direction. He's, Paul's recommendation then is that younger widows remarry and give themselves to the good work of marriage and motherhood. And he uses the word desire here. This is another word. This word he used in chapter 2, verse 8. This desire or want was formed after thought-out deliberation. This wasn't a spur of the moment. Again, this is not saying that a woman needs a man, but in verse 11, Paul recognized the natural emotional and sensual desires of a person. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, 9, he gives similar advice. He says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Remembering also that in the, this historical context of the letter, there was, more than, there was likely none to little employment opportunities for women in the first century. And what was likely available would not be appropriate for an honorable woman, let alone a believer in Jesus Christ. The role of wife and mother can certainly aid in the work of the gospel. As a mother, they are able to, to help raise children and teach them the faith. How many mothers are mentioned in testimonies, even within church history, of leading or praying for their children and their children coming to faith? By having these women remarry, it also, it also prevents a bad testimony from being attached to the church. This phrase about the adversary is understood as either referring to non-believers or those following after the false teachers. Because it is also likely that some of these women may have been following these false teachers. Remember that ascetic lifestyle that was, Paul was discussing in, chap, in the beginning of chapter 4, where these false teachers were, condemning, were forbidding a marriage and eating certain foods. There may have been a problem in the church resolved around that. So this, this reference to the adversary may be understood as referring to non-believers or those following the false teachers, or it is understood as a reference to Satan that is because it's mentioned in the next verse. Those that understand this as a reference to Satan generally say that the insulting, the reproach 
against the Christian community would be done through a human being. At this time, I'm taking it to mean that these are non-believers or those following the false teachers that would be speaking badly about the church. Now, verse 15 indicates that there was already a problem in the church concerning younger widows. It seems that the danger Paul was warning about in verse 13 had already begun happening with some of these widows. And Paul doesn't specifically uh, doesn't specify what turned away to follow Satan means here. Uh, it could be some have fallen into a full-blown apostasy of their faith. Like I mentioned, they could have been, these could have been women that were following the false teachers. One, one source suggests that whatever this was, it seems worse than just a second marriage over a commitment to Christ in, in widowhood and service. Now, this may have meant just following a carnal lifestyle similar to that self-indulgent widow of, that was described in verse 6. Now, verse 16 wraps up the, the section by restating that the family should care for family. There is debated a textual variant here that we want to discuss. The King James and New King James reads, any believing man or woman. Other texts read just believing man, while others read believing woman. Believing woman has slightly better proof in the manuscripts than the others and is used in a lot, if not most, of the modern translations. Now, if the text used for the King James and New King James is correct, this would indicate that any believer, man or woman, have the responsibility of caring for a widow or elderly family member. While if the text of believing woman is the correct text, then the verse seems that the responsibility of caring for widows then in the family is laid on younger women alone as members of the family make arrangements. The point, I think still the point is that family is to be taking care of family. The point is shown in the next part of the verse so that the church is not burdened with this responsibility. If the family is doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're caring for family. Allowing the church to care for those widows who really are widows in need and don't have the support other than their own dependence upon God. Now this passage continues Paul's instructions to Timothy, specifically how to treat members of the church. Paul discusses how Timothy as a leader in the church should treat members of different ages, especially if he needs to admonish someone. Timothy was to treat men and women older than himself as he would his own father and mother. And those men and women that were younger, either than himself or near his age, as brothers and sisters. And the younger women he was to treat especially well to, with purity to avoid suspicion. The rest of the section is discuss the care of widows in the church. Paul wanted Timothy to make sure that those believing widows who truly needed church aid received it. Otherwise, family was to care for family. This was to be especially true of believers. 
How could true believers not practice their faith at home and care for, their, for the widows of their family? In the case of the younger widow, Paul told Timothy, it's best if they remarry and be wives and mothers. Historically, in the first century, that was an honorable and worthy thing for a young woman, and it still is. Besides, Paul was concerned that these younger widows would fall into the natural desires of marriage over the higher spiritual commitment of service to Christ. Paul was saying, as he did in 1 Corinthians 7, that they need to understand themselves and choose what was better for them. Burn with passion because trying to honor this higher commitment of service to Christ or marriage or marriage so that um, it would not be an issue. Now, today we can see, uh, see these principles, though we have different social and cultural ideas now, many of the principles are still very applicable today. How we treat one another in church, how we care for our aging parents and remarriage. Well, I think there are certainly elements of the first century society in this passage. There are evident that are evident here that, that are not for today. The underlying principles certainly are. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the time that we were able to come together today and to study your word. Well, this isn't necessarily a, a difficult passage to work through or to understand. Father, it's a lot of information. Lord, we need to treat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ with respect and the love that you showed for us. And faith starts in the home. So we need to care for those, for those family members that need our care. Father, help us to understand this so that we can be better disciples, so that we can live better Christian lives, so that our faith is observable, not just in the church, but even in our lives outside the church, so that those outside the church may see it and be sparked to ask questions about our faith so that we can share the gospel. Father, we thank you for what, for what you've given to us in your word today. We thank you for this service. We ask you can, that you continue to watch over us. We thank you and we praise you and we pray these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.